Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. This week, we're going to have another look at the Reserve Bank. As you may well be aware, the Reserve Bank has raised the official cash rate by another 0.25%, taking it to 3.6%. That, of course, was widely expected. It's the 10th rate hike in a row across 11 months. Of course, they didn't meet in the month of January and brings the total increase in interest rates to 350 basis points, or 3.5%, since they started raising rates in May of last year. The Reserve Bank retained its tightening bias, but softened it slightly, implying the possibility of maybe just one more hike. And most importantly, it's opened the door again to a pause in the tightening cycle. And this was further confirmed by comments by Reserve Bank Governor Lowe in a subsequent speech. Now, we think the Reserve Bank has done enough and should now pause. And that is our base case for next month, albeit there's still risks on the high side. We think that continuing to raise rates from here risks plunging the economy unnecessarily into a recession. Given high inflation and Reserve Bank guidance, the risks are still skewed to the upside for interest rates. However, by year end or early next year, we continue to see the Reserve Bank cutting interest rates. Now, of course, the 355 basis point rise in interest rates over the last 11 months is quite aggressive. And in fact, it clearly surpasses all of the rate hiking cycles seen since 1990 and is the fastest tightening cycle since the rise in the overnight cash rate from 10.6% in January 1988 to a peak of 18.2% in November 1989. Back then, the Reserve Bank cash rate was not officially announced after each meeting, which may have reduced its initial effectiveness because it doesn't have the so-called announcement effect. Short-term interest rates back then were also highly volatile and mortgage rates were more regulated then and only, with uh, quotations around the word only, rose from 13.5% to a whopping 17%. That perhaps explains the line from oldsters um, of my generation to younger people that uh, you know today's interest rates are still very low and what is everyone complaining about? Of course, that comment ignores the fact that household debt as a share of income 30 or more years ago was a fraction of what it was today. In fact, the ratio household debt to household disposable income was only 68% back then, whereas now it's 188%. So rates shouldn't have to go up anywhere near as much as they did back in the late 1980s to slow spending and hence inflation. In fact, if you do a rough calculation allowing for that almost threefold increase in the household debt to income ratio between the late 1980s and now, the 17% peak interest rate peak mortgage rate in 1989 is roughly equivalent to a interest rate today of around 5.5 to 6%. And guess what? That's roughly where we are with very many variable rates around those levels or in fact pushing above them. In raising rates again, the Reserve Bank noted high services price inflation, the still tight labour market, the risk of a prices wages spiral, and that its priority is to return inflation to target and it remains resolute in its determination to do this and will do what is necessary to achieve it. However, reflecting the recent run of softer economic data, the Reserve Bank was far more dovish. I wouldn't say dovish per se, but relative to its commentary over the last month, it was uh, far less hawkish in that sense. It's moved in a dovish direction. It noted that the monthly CPI indicator suggests inflation has peaked. In fact, Governor Lowe reiterated that point in a subsequent speech. It also noted that growth has slowed, that labour market conditions are showing signs of easing, and there is a lower risk of a prices wages spiral. And that's partly on the back of recent wages data released in Australia, which was a long 
long way from anything being considered a wages breakout. Consistent with this somewhat more balanced assessment, the Reserve Bank's interest rate guidance remains hawkish, but it was weakened slightly. From back in February, saying the board expects to increase interest rates further over the months ahead, which had been interpreted by many as implying that it expects at least two more rate hikes ahead, it softened that to now saying the board expects that further tightening of monetary policy will be needed. In other words, the RBA still expects to increase interest rates further, but just one more move could be interpreted as consistent with its latest guidance. What's more, a month ago, it noted that the assessment that in assessing rather, in assessing how much further interest rates need to increase, it now added the word when. It's now saying in assessing when and how much further interest rates need to increase, which of course opens the door to a potential pause. And of course, that was confirmed by Reserve Bank Governor Lowe in saying that with monetary policy now in restrictive territory, we are now close to the point where it will be appropriate to pause interest rate increases to allow more time to assess the state of the economy. The rise in mortgage rates is now well above the 250 basis point interest rate serviceability test that applied to four borrowers until October of 2021, and the 3% or 300 basis point assessment test that applied from October of 2021. So many recent home borrowers from the 2020 to early 22 period will now be seeing interest rates above the levels their serviceability was assessed at when they took out their loan. The latest interest rate hike when passed on to mortgage borrowers, as we expect banks will do, will mean that the amount a new borrower, a new buyer on an average full-time earnings with a 20% deposit can pay for a home will have fallen 27% from where it was in April of last year. In other words, the capacity to pay for houses has come down dramatically for the simple reason that people can't borrow as much with these much higher levels of interest rates. So in other words, the downwards pressure on property prices from higher interest rates will continue for some time yet, even if the Reserve Bank soon pauses the cash rate. Of course, the relationship between property prices and the capacity to pay is not perfect. And there is a risk that rising levels of underlying housing demand from the return of immigrants and loan new listings will offset the impact of higher interest rates and property prices will bottom out sooner if they haven't already. Although our base case is that we will still see more downside pressure on property prices for the next six months or so. Now, Reserve Bank guidance suggests that it expects at least one more rate hike ahead. So with rates having increased far more than we anticipated, we'd have to admit we were way too optimistic on that front. And that partly was because inflation and the labour market turned out far stronger than we expected. So the risks, you'd have to say, still remain on the upside for interest rates. However, we are strongly of the view that the Reserve Bank should now pause. In fact, there's eight reasons why we think they should now pause. Inflation is still too high, there's no doubt about that, and the jobs market remains very tight. But inflation and the jobs market are invariably the last indicators to turn down in an economic downturn. In particular, we are concerned that the Reserve Bank overreacted to the December quarter CPI, letting inflation and jobs data dominate in driving monetary policies like driving a car using the rear view mirror. Secondly, supply pressures, which on the RBA's own analysis drove 50% or more of the rise in inflation over the last 18 months are now receding, with global supply bottlenecks continuing to dissipate with sharply reduced delivery delays, lower freight costs, and most commodity prices well off their highs. Thirdly, the impact on the key 25 to 45-year-old household demographic from rate hikes and the cost of living pressures is now horrendous. A rural rate borrower on an existing $600,000 mortgage will see roughly another 95 added to their monthly payment from this month's RBA rate hike, which will take the total increase in their monthly payment since April of last year to around $1,200 a month. That's an extra $14,500 a year, which is a massive hit to household spending power. No one, or 
hardly anyone is getting a wage rise that will cover that because you'd need, given uh, marginal tax rates, you'd probably need a wage rise somewhere between twenty dollars and $25,000 for most people to cover that sort of increase in interest rates. And roughly two-thirds of the now one-third of mortgage households with fixed rates will see a doubling or more in their payments when their fixed term expires by the end of this year. Put simply, household debt servicing payments are now pushing their highest level in more than a decade and a rise in the cash rate to 4.1%, as many are forecasting, will take household debt servicing payments to a record level in terms of household disposable income. In fact, that record was last met back in 2008 and after which we suffered a very sharp slowdown in consumer spending, obviously made worse by the GFC at the time, but the economy was hit very hard by that period. This will result in a sharp slowing in consumer spending, if not contraction, which will sharply reduce corporate pricing power and hence inflation. Fourthly, the run of recent data indicates that the RBA rate hikes are getting traction, with weak jobs data, a plunge in consumer confidence back to recessionary lows, slower than expected wages growth, stagnant nominal retail sales since September, and in fact they're falling in real terms, weaker than expected underlying December quarter GDP growth, absent net exports, it would have gone backwards, and weaker than expected inflation in January. This is all against the backdrop of an ongoing plunge in building approvals and housing finance, and of course, as we've known for some time, confidence generally has been very, very low. Economic data can run hot and cold and seasonal adjustment issues may be playing a role. But taken together, the run of recent data suggests that demand is cooling and inflation has peaked. Fifthly, while the Reserve Bank and others have been referring to excess saving buffers built up through the pandemic as a support for consumer spending, relying on this may be dangerous. These are thought to be somewhere between $250 billion to $300 billion and are bigger relative to household income in Australia compared to many other comparable countries. And they're often cited as a reason for uncertainty about the outlook for consumer spending and that they could actually support higher than expected spending going forward. However, there's a number of complications for this. Firstly, their estimation is very rough. It's not a measure of actual savings. It's hard to find this in actual data for things like household deposits, as we'll refer to in a moment, or, or the share market or superannuation. Maybe there's a bit of it in, in mortgages, but their estimation is very, very rough. Estimating it is really just the residual from income in the economy, less consumption. It's not an actual measure of savings. Secondly, the savings buffer is not re really evident, as I just alluded to, in bank deposits, which are running roughly in line with their long-term trend, suggesting that any excess savings is not really intended for future spending. And finally, while the excess savings may make life easier for households that use them to pay down debt, they appear to be substantially skewed towards older people who may not adjust their spending much anyway, as they are focused on saving for retirement and getting their mortgage in shape ahead of that. Whereas for younger, newer entrants to the property market, the buffers are likely to be far less significant or even non-existent. For these reasons, it is dangerous to rely on these so-called buffers as a significant source of upside support for consumer spending in Australia. Sixthly, while several other central banks have rates well above those in Australia, ranging from 4% in the UK to 4.75% in the US and New Zealand, this may not be appropriate for Australia. For example, if you compare to the US, 95% of mortgages over there are at 30-year fixed rates. In other words, people are protected from rising rates. And in Australia, of course, two-thirds of mortgages are variable rate and one, the remaining one-third are on fixed rates, but they're very short-dated fixed rates um, of one to two years. And of course, two-thirds of them are going to see those fixed rates reset this year. Seventhly, the ABS monthly inflation indicator looks to have slowed after its December spike. It uh, peaked in December at 
4% and Ingenium REIT slowed to 7.4%. And there's clear signs of slowing in areas like holiday travel, new dwelling prices, garments, food furnishings, and fuel, even though rent inflation is still surging. And finally, and this is very, very important, consistent with the podcast I did a few weeks ago on the lessons from the 1970s and 80s, there is no sign of a wages breakout or a dangerous surge in inflation expectations in Australia. In summary, there is a strong case for a pause in rate hikes, given the evidence of slowing demand, improving supply side conditions, the increasing pain borne by mostly younger households with mortgages, the absence of a wages breakout and contained longer term inflation expectations. We are concerned that ongoing rate hikes risk unnecessarily plunging the economy into a recession. As such, it's time for the RBA to have a pause and we are assuming a pause at their April meeting, but would concede that the risks still remain on the upside. Nevertheless, we remain of the view that the interest rate are getting close to the top, or indeed they certainly should be if they haven't already, and that by the end of this year or early next year, the Reserve Bank will start cutting interest rates. So that's my latest thoughts on the Reserve Bank. Um, I hope it's been of some value until we meet again. Adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform. That way you'll never miss an episode.